Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Hey, you know, we're starting a brand new series and it's called Making Change. And I thought earlier, I wish I'd have called it Make It Rain. That would have been awesome. But we're not calling it that. Uh, We're starting a brand new series called Making Change. And it's all about what the Bible's perspective is on finances, generosity, and blessing. And, you know, we live in a culture that talks a lot about money. Uh, You may not really think of it off the bat, but really all you have to do is start thinking about music, right? And so I'm going to quiz you a little bit on music, and I want you to participate with me on this. Uh, I'm going to say some lyrics, and I want you to say what, who the artist was that sang them. So first, and you can be loud, you can let me know, but I need you to just don't, don't do anything weird, like stand up and go, and do a buzzer or something. Just say who it is. Uh, all you need to do is just let me know. So I'm going to start with one that's, if you're of a certain generation, you'll know who this is. Uh, the first lyric is, if you've got the money, honey, I've got the time. Who is the original artist? Huh? Hank Williams. Thank you. If you want to know weird facts about me, Hank Williams Sr., not junior. That was a little different years. Hank Williams Sr., I was into him in middle school, which is just so weird and probably explains a lot about me. Um, so the other lyric that we have is a, is a pretty good one, but I don't know if you're going to guess it. Uh, unless you're a serious classic rock person. I had to look it up. It's New Car Caviar Four Star Daydream. If you heard the rhythm, you'd totally get it. Ooh, who said that? I'm so proud of you for that. That was amazing. Pink Floyd, that's who it is. The song Money. Uh, somebody clap for you. That's, that was awesome. That was your moment. That was awesome. Uh, here's one. The best things in life are free. It made it onto like a commercial and everybody knows it from the commercial. Who said that? The Beatles. Thank you, Mike. But you were in first service, but you probably knew it anyways. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. How about this one? If you're from the 80s, money changes everything. Anybody? If I sang it like the person, you would totally know it. Do you know it? Uh, I'm going to do my impersonation, but you're not going to guess it. Who said that? Cindy Lauper, yeah. You know how Cindy Lauper didn't really sing? She just kind of was like, money changes. Like, you're like, what are you doing? It was like she was coughing at the same time she was singing. Uh, The last one, a lot of people, (laughs) that was awesome. Uh, The last one, that was embarrassing for me. The last one people don't know about is, uh, or maybe you wouldn't know the name of this group is, uh, like the only lyric, I think the entire half of the song is money, money, money. Money, money, money. Everybody knows the song. But who is it? The OJs, Carmelita got it. That was nice. I like that. Here's my last one. I think this is the one that really describes how most of us feel about money. Uh, It's from one of the famous poets of the 20th century. He was on the Keenan and Cal theme song, if that helps you out at all. But he said, I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Who was that? Coolio. Somebody said in the front row, Coolio. There you go. That's awesome. Have you, I don't know if you've ever heard that lyric, and it's a really just a random lyric, and I know he probably thought it was kind of funny when he was writing it. But quite honestly, if you say it instead of rapping it, I think it actually just completely says how most of us feel about money. I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. 
I know something about money, but I'm not really sure if I know what I need to know about money. I think my grandma told me I should have bonds, and then my dad told me I should do the stock market, and then somebody told me that I should have a credit card, and then somebody else told me that I should cut it up, and then Bitcoin was cool for like 25 minutes, and then Bitcoin was not cool, and you better sell it really fast, and I don't really know what to do. Most of us have some kind of an education in regards to money, but when it comes down to it, we don't know exactly what we need to know, and I think it's because we don't have a biblical perspective on money. And actually, we live in a world that talks about money all the time. We've got entire cable networks dedicated to how you should use your finances. We've got books about it. We've got podcasts. We've got radio shows. We've got all this stuff. But it seems like money is a taboo topic in church. Now, somebody was saying that to me like, oh, man, Pastor Don had you talk about money. And I was like, yeah, but he didn't have me talk about Song of Solomon, so I'm good. Like, you know? Uh, But... Money is like this taboo thing in the church, and I don't really understand why. I can kind of get it, though, because when you stop and think about this, a lot of times money is an embarrassing topic, right? If you're using money in an improper way, you don't know how to manage your money. It's like, it's like you have holes in your pockets or in your bank account. You're always losing money. It's embarrassing to talk about it, and I think a lot of us have been there. I've definitely been there. Uh, this is not a very flattering story, but I, uh, one time, I'm just going to say this, this is funny that I did, I didn't put this in my notes for a reason, but I'm doing it anyway. One time Pastor Don was up here talking about a mission trip we were on when I was a little bit younger. And, uh, and he said, uh, there was this museum and something in my spirit, like we went to this museum, we were on a tour, uh, on a free day that we had, we went into this museum and something in my spirit just felt like this is not right. So I took my daughter out of there and we left cause it just didn't feel right. He was using it to teach a spiritual lesson. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, uh, I was sitting outside that museum cause I literally ran out of money when I was in Mexico. <laughs> I was like really young and I didn't manage my money well. And I remember thinking, Ooh, oh, I don't have any money and I'm in Mexico right now. So I ate whatever was free and that was all I did for the rest of the trip. So I know what it's like to be a little bit embarrassed and have to live with that. Sometimes it's embarrassing to talk about money. That's why it's important that you come to this series because when you're here at this series, you're gonna hear some things that will help you and the people to your right and left, unless you're married to them, don't even know that you may have these issues with money. And then it's important to get into a life group or a community group with people you can trust. Ask them some questions. My wife and I have done that where we've sat down with somebody who is doing better than us, is further along than us and said, hey, what would you do in this situation? And especially if you've got a big decision on the horizon, it's not a bad idea. Uh, Ultimately, you really need to go with what the Holy Spirit says and what wisdom says, but it's a good idea to get advice. But the second reason that I think a lot of people don't like to talk about money in church is frankly, because it's been abused. There have been a lot of people who have used and twisted scriptures to get something from someone. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. Most of us have at least, and it's unfortunate. And we can say without a doubt that it's wrong. And let me just say on behalf of our pastors here, you know, I apologize that you've had to see some of those things in the world today. We don't do that at our church, and I'm really proud of that. Um, You may not know this, but every pastor on our staff was a volunteer before we worked here. And as a volunteer, I remember what it was like um, to be able to know that my church was using the, the money that I gave appropriately. And still to this day, I'm confident that my church uses the money that I give to my church appropriately because we want to bless God and impact people. Amen? So... 
we have to understand that, uh, you know, A, that's wrong. And I would encourage you, don't let what a person does color your view of who God is and what he does. Because people are flawed and people sometimes make mistakes. Sometimes they do stuff on purpose in the name of God. That's not anything to do with God. But we have to look to the source and that's God and his word. Amen. So here's the other thing though, is that those people are responsible for the times that they abuse that. But as pastors, we'll be equally responsible if we do not educate you and ourselves to what the word actually says about how to deal with finances. Because really, if you look in Joshua, um, God talked about he had set before the children of Israel life and death. And, and Joshua is kind of speaking for God. And he says, choose you this day who you'll serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And our job as pastors is not to coerce or to make you do anything. Our job is to say, here's what God's word says. Make a choice for yourself. And our job is to show you how you can live a life of peace financially and of blessing financially and of eternal significance financially. So today that's what we're going to do. And I think it's really important that we understand in our, in our country, we're not just confused about money. We're actually really sincerely scared of money and what to do with it. In fact, I'll show you just a couple statistics. 69% of adults in the U.S. have less than $1,000 in savings. That means that if your car broke down tomorrow, you're not sure how you make it to the next paycheck potentially. 34% have no savings at all. A 2015 study by the American Psychological Association found that 72% of Americans had experienced money-related stress in the past month with 22% saying they felt extreme stress. A more recent study found that an estimated 28% of millennials are experiencing so much stress about money that it's impacting their job performance. And 23% report that it makes them physically ill on a weekly or monthly basis. That's unhealthy. 12% of workers in all age groups responded to that as well. So this is a widespread thing that we're not just confused about money, but we're also worried about money. And not only are we confused and worried about money, but we're ashamed about money, so we won't talk about money. But the Bible has so much to say about money. In fact, you may not know this, but the Bible has over 2,000 references to money and possessions. And that could come in a lot of forms. Sometimes they were counting what somebody had. It would give an account of this person had this much or whatever that may be. But the Bible says a lot about finances. We look to the Bible for salvation. We look to the Bible for relationship advice. But sometimes we forget about the financial advice that it can provide. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. He came to give you peace. He came to give you life. And that's exactly what happens when you consult his word in regards to your finances. So today... I want to start by talking about three money myths. Three money myths. The first one, if you're following along on Live Notes, you can fill this in. If you don't know about Live Notes, you just download the TOLC app, search Tree of Life Church NB in the App Store or the Google Play Store, and you can follow along with our notes. But the first money myth is this money is bad. How many of you have ever heard somebody quote the scripture? Money is the root of all evil. Has anybody ever heard people say that? I saw a tip jar one time and the tip jar said, money is the root of all evil. Cleanse yourself here. <laughs> and I thought, whatever broke college kid wrote that was awesome, you know? Uh, but the problem with that saying, and I love the tip jar, but the problem with the saying is that it's not what the scripture says. Actually, it says in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the... Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money 
have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Whenever it says pierced themselves with many sorrows, this is a total sidebar. You remember when you were a kid and your older sibling would grab your hand and hit you with it and say, why are you hitting yourself? Stop hitting yourself. That's exactly what goes through my head when I read that. Like they've pierced themselves. Stop piercing yourself. Okay, um, anyways, wait a second though. It does not say that money is the root of all evil, right? It says the love of money. It's a lot easier to blame an inanimate object for our problems than to look at our inner self and what's happening in our heart. Money isn't good or bad, it's a tool. It's just a tool, it's just a piece of paper. It only has the effect that you allow it to have on you. It's kind of like a sports car. If you had a really nice sports car, whatever your favorite one is, and you were driving this really nice sports car, but you had this habit, you could not stop going 110 miles an hour on the freeway and you could not stop getting tickets, you're not gonna blame it on your car. You're gonna blame it on the foot that's pressing the accelerator and the mind that's connected to the foot, right? We like to blame our problems on money, but it's not money's problem, it's our problem. Myth number two, wealth and poverty are indicators of holiness. You'll hear people say both of these things. Well, you know, they're just not blessed because they're not following what God told them to do. Or you'll hear vice versa and say, well, well I think it's more holy to have less money uh, because if you're rich, it means you're greedy. Neither of those are actually true according to scripture. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, you can see people like King David and King Solomon and Abraham. Uh, they were people that were well known for having a heart for God and living right lives. Solomon for most of his life. And, and they all made mistakes, right? But they had a heart for God. Did you know that they, all three of them were just completely loaded, wealthy, rich, like crazy, in fact, in King Solomon's day, it says that in Jerusalem, when he, was on, when he was in authority in Jerusalem, that silver was basically regarded as worthless because it was so com common. People were so rich under his rule. But still, these were people who loved God. And then there's this other side where people say, well, if you're poor, it must mean that you did something wrong and God's not blessing you. But I think if we do that, we forget about people like Joseph and Job, think about Joseph. Joseph came from probably a pretty well-to-do family. His dad gave him like this really expensive, cool coat. Um, and so he then makes his brothers mad and they sell him into slavery. He becomes really poor. And then he goes to jail. He becomes even more poor. And then he's promoted to second in command over Egypt. He becomes really rich. So what we know about Joseph from looking at scripture is his character spoke for itself in every season of his life. And God's blessing was actually on him in every season of his life, but it just didn't always look like him being really rich. And then the other thing is Job. Job was super wealthy. Job lived around the time of Abraham. You see these two big biblical characters that were both really wealthy, but Job was living for God to the max. God himself said that Job was living for God and then disaster struck and he lost everything. And he continued to live for God. He was frustrated with God, didn't do everything right, but he continued to have his heart set on God. And then eventually God blessed him even more than he was previously blessed. So it would be foolish to think that they did something wrong that landed them in those positions because they were serving God the whole time. Actually, Proverbs deals with this pretty directly and I think it's really cool. Um, Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Do you know that uh, sometimes God just blesses people with stuff and money? 
And that's just part of it. And a great test of our character is that thing that we've been praying for for a long time. When someone else gets it, what do we do? Do we say, hey, praise God, man, I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. And then we walk away and like, I hate that guy. I've been praying for that for three years. We do the church thing. They're like, that is great. Awesome. And then we leave. Or do we really rejoice with them? That's a really good question to ask ourselves. Proverbs 28.6 on the other side says this, better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and rich. You know, it's better to be righteous and live rightly and maybe sacrifice some money than to do something that's against God's will for your life in order to gain more money. So really it just depends on the heart and the season and where you're at. And I think we ought to be real. Sometimes lack is the result of poor stewardship and we do need to address that. But sometimes wealth is the result of doing the wrong thing and both are equally bad. And the other thing that we have to understand too, especially if you are, are um, in a position of being in a successful place monetarily in life, that poor stewardship does not just mean lack. You can be wealthy and be a poor steward of your finances. If you're successful, but you're stingy, it's poor stewardship. Because according to God's principles, you're not using the finances the way that he would direct you to. Here's the thing, poor stewardship comes in all bank account sizes. So the bottom line is that if we follow God's principles for our lives, you may not always be the most wealthy person in the world, but you'll never lack. Like we read earlier, Psalm 37, 25, I've never seen the righteous go without. The verse after it says, the godly love to give. If you live a generous, godly life, then you'll never lack. But I believe that eventually God will increase it too because the Bible says in the New Testament, we'll explore this next week, that God gives more so that you can be even more generous. And that's what we believe. So myth number three is that money will fix all my problems. We don't usually say this out loud, but we usually believe it. It sounds really cheesy to say, and, and it sounds so obvious that it's not true, but we actually think it. And I think that's really uh, kind of funny that we're too ashamed to say it out loud, but it's running through our heads. And I heard one time about this guy that said, um, he said that people say that money can't buy happiness. And he was like, that's not true. Have you ever seen somebody frowning on a jet ski? And I, you know, that's really accurate, honestly, when you stop and think about it. I've never seen a sad person on a dirt bike, you know? But the other thing about that is what oftentimes happens is that we think it can buy us joy. Jim Carrey said this. I think it's really fa fascinating. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous. And everybody's like, yeah, and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I don't know about you, but Jim Carrey's got a lot more money than me and he's a lot more famous than me. He's probably been on way cooler vacations than me. And he's telling me that it's not the answer. Money can buy happiness, but it cannot buy joy. I can spend $3 on ice cream after this, and I'll be so happy because I love ice cream. But it cannot buy joy. And here's the thing. The way you handle money when you have only a little will be the way that you handle money when you have a lot. I used to try to handle money. I, actually, I used to think um, 
probably around the time when I got stuck in Mexico with no money, uh, I used to think, if I just had more money, I would. And then I would start to get some more money, and then I would realize that it all went to the same place, which back then in my life as a single young man was Starbucks and food. And it never went to my savings account because I handled money the same way no matter what amount I had because I didn't change the attitude behind it. Sometimes we misuse money out of ignorance, but sometimes we misuse money because we're trying to fill a spiritual void with a material thing. It's really the same as overeating. Um, This steps on people's toes, but I'm just telling you straight. People always say like, you must have that young guy metabolism. And I tell them, I never had that. When I was a teenager, if everybody else ate what they wanted, if I ate what I wanted, it was about to show. And I had to, I had to work to not have it show. Because I know too, and you know this too, if you're stressed and there's french fries in front of you, it's about to go down. <laughs> you know that you're trying to fill a spiritual void with a material thing. And if you want a list of the best french fries in town, I'll give it to you, because I know them all. But here's the thing, a full bank account or a full stomach cannot fix an empty spiritual life. And if you have an empty spiritual life, at the end of the service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to fill it with something that will last. So now that we've kind of talked about these three myths about what money really isn't, let's talk about three truths really briefly today. Truth number one, my attitude about money is more important than the amount of money that I have. Go back to my story about If I just had more, I would. And then every time I got more, I did the same thing that I was always doing because my attitude didn't change. The rich young ruler, if you've ever heard this story, maybe you haven't heard it before, but it's what we call this story. But it was this guy that came up to Jesus and he wanted to know how to serve Jesus and follow Jesus. And it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus got interrupted a lot. He's leaving, starting this journey. Guy runs up to him, interrupts him. A man came running up to him, knelt down, passionate guy. And he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the young man replied, I've obeyed all these things since I was young. I want to stop right here and say, this man said he had obeyed all these things, but I bet you he really hadn't. Because I would guarantee you that sometime when he was around 13 to 18 years old, he dishonored his parents at some point in that area of his life. But look at what Jesus does. Jesus sees right through. He knows that the guy probably hasn't fully followed all of these things. And I don't know that he was intentionally lying. He just maybe had an unclear view of himself. But Jesus looks at him and he says this. It says, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Sometimes we judge other people based on what they do. And I heard somebody say this the other day. And we judge ourselves based on our intentions. And Jesus looks at all of us and he just loves us because he cares about us, no matter where we're at in life. And he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, it wasn't the amount, the amount of money that the man had that prevented him from entering the kingdom of God or from following Jesus and becoming a disciple. It was this attitude towards the amount of money that he had. You know, guys like Peter that were disciples of Jesus literally left their job. Some of them just literally got up and left. Matthew was a tax collector. He probably was ripping people off. It was cultural in those days. You would cut some off the top for yourself. Jesus walks up to him in the middle of his, in the middle of his dishonest job. It says, come follow me. And he just does it. But this guy could not let go. And I left a part about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, because I think in the U.S. today, we have a, not just in the U.S., but I think, um, in this day and age, especially in, in the Western world, but in this time in history. Um, many of us aren't rich, right? And, and there are many people, there's a shocking percentage of people in the U.S. that struggle with uh, hunger, kids that go to bed hungry, um, parents that go to bed hungry so their kids can eat. And many of you have experienced that. But it is so much more convenient overall than it used to be. Because... With the exception of people who really don't have the funds to even buy food that day, for most of us, if, if, if we ran low on money, uh, we could at least go like, you know, I'm just going to swing through the drive through at McDonald's, like sc scrounge a couple of quarters and get a McDouble with the cheese that I'm not really sure if it's plastic or real cheese. And then, you know, I should be good for a little bit, right? We could just do these things and just get stuff taken care of. And sometimes in our culture, things are so convenient and so easy to take care of on our own. And sometimes maybe it's not even easy, but we have a mentality that it's my job to take care of it. And it is your job to work hard and obey God. But oftentimes we forget that we need God. And we forget to rely on him. And maybe sometimes it's because we don't trust him, but that's a whole nother story. But sometimes we forget that we need God. And I, I read an author talk about one time, maybe Jesus was trying to let this rich young ruler know, you've got everything you need and you think you followed all the rules, but you don't remember that you need me. And I'm trying to show you that picture of your life. And I think the other thing that Jesus is teaching us here is that it's okay to possess things. It's just not okay for things to possess us. Matthew 6, 24 through 25 says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I would like to say this. Um, the love of money impacts people who have no money and people who have lots of money. And it drives people to do crazy things either way, whether it's fear-based or greed-based or both. And here's how I can prove that to you. You will watch criminals do anything to get money to provide, sometimes just for their family. You will watch other criminals with high-level positions in organizations do anything to get money to provide for their family out of a different mindset. Sometimes it's actually the same mindset overlapped. 
And I love what Jesus says because he really teaches us that sometimes loving money and being too concerned about money is actually based in the fact that we're really just afraid that we won't have enough. Sometimes people do crazy things because they're just afraid they're not going to have enough. If you look at it, really it's an unhealthy desire for money and it's often based in fear. We don't trust that God will provide so we try to make it happen in our own strength. But Psalm 24 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And here's what I know, whether you have not enough or more than enough, I know that God is enough to provide for you no matter what. And he'll take care of you if you'll just trust him and put him first in your finances. Here's the attitude. When we understand that everything is God's, and if you read that scripture, it says he made it all. If you made it, you can claim it. It's yours, right? When you're a kid at the lunch table, some kid would say, that's my seat. And you'd say, did you write your name on it? And God's like, I built the table, kid. You know, that's kind of his, his whole take on it. And so when we have that attitude, we have this other attitude that says, everything I have is a gift from God, so I should hold it with open hands, ready to give it away if he asks me to. Ready to give whatever away. Now, let me say this unmistakably. Do not be irresponsible in this. Don't claim that God told you to give away everything and then your kids have nothing to eat, right? Be wise. And maybe that's an extreme case, but we all know that there are times when, when people say, well, God told me to do it and, and I would question if it was wise because if it doesn't line up with the word, then it's really not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You gotta learn to listen to God in the small things. And maybe if you wanna practice generosity, start buying someone's meal every once in a while. Listen to the Holy Spirit prompt you when you're at... at um, maybe a restaurant or something like that. Um, truth number two, what I do with my money both displays and determines my values. Both displays and determines my values. Have you ever heard this one, this scripture, where your heart is there, your treasure will be also? What's another interesting part about that is that everybody flips that backwards. That's actually not what it says. It's in Matthew 6 again, verse 21, and it actually says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, if you ding the car next to me in the parking lot with your shopping cart, I'm like, ooh, that stinks. That, that's rough. It stinks for that person. If you ding my car that I pay for with your shopping cart, it gets me. I'm like, dude, what in the world? Why'd you do that? And then I'm like, oh, I need to be nice to people. That's what Jesus would do, right? Where your money is, that's where your heart will be as well. So money is two things. Money is a thermometer. And it shows us we can see what we truly value by what we do with it. A thermometer reads the temperature in the room or the temperature of an object. Money's a thermometer, but money's also a thermostat. And we can use it to determine or choose what we value by what we do with it. We can choose what we value by where we place our money. If you tell me that you value saving money, but you always eat out and you never save, I'm going to question if you value saving money. I'm going to question it because I totally did it. And I know all about it. And I know what's going on in your head. So where I put my money shows people what I value, but it also determines what I will value. Here's the powerful thing about giving. When I give, I tell my heart what to care about. When I give, I tell my heart, I'm going to care about the local church. I'm going to care about foreign missions. I'm going to care about connecting families to the life, love, and power of Jesus. I'm going to care about reaching people in India with the gospel of Jesus or reaching people in Mexico with the gospel of Jesus. I'm telling my heart that I'm going to care more about that than 
the amount of coffee that I wish I could buy every month because I get a coffee budget because that's me. Uh, I have to budget it very carefully and that's so sad, but true. Maybe for you it would be, I care about people in India more than I care about cable, so I'm gonna give up cable for a little bit. You're telling your heart what to care about. Hebrews 13, five says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. What a lost art. What a difficult thing for us to do, to be content with what we have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Here's a question. If I'm more focused on money than on God, I have to ask myself, do I really believe God is enough for me? If I'm focused on money, we can switch this anyway, so don't take offense to this. You could say, if I'm focused on success in my career. As ministers, we could say, if I'm more focused on the success of the ministry that I do, then on my actual relationship with God, do I really believe that God is really more than enough for me? Truth number three, last one. I can use money to make a lasting impact. At the end of the day, I'd rather be known for what I gave and what I passed on than just what I had and maybe what I saved for myself. So here's three simple ways that you can use your finances to make a lasting impact. Number one, we can use our finances to set up our children for success. First Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone doesn't provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's extremely strong. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. Uh, two things really, two or three things really briefly about that. Uh, number one, not saying there that you, your family has to be wealthy for you to be providing for them. Does that make sense? Uh, I just want to toss this out there. Your kids don't need to have everything to be happy. They need to have parents present with them who love them and care about them and show them the ways of God to be happy. Um, we have this really big stigma in our world that uh, especially uh, over the past few generations that I want to provide what my kids didn't have. If you look historically, it started uh, with the greatest generation. They experienced the Great Depression. So when they came out of the war, they had the baby boomers and they tried to provide as much as they could and it kind of snowballed. And um, quite honestly, we've got a lot of kids now that have a lot of stuff but have no presence of their parents and they're not happy. Uh, they, they struggle with anxiety and stress. So you don't have to be wealthy to be providing for your family, but I do want to say this unequivocally. If you are working to provide and ends aren't meeting, I believe that, I believe that God's proud of the fact that you're, you're striving to make that happen. There may be some things that you should get in order, and I think you should seek help for that, but I believe God's proud of the fact that you're working hard. Um, but here's what I would say to you. If you're a parent and, and you know that your family is not really making ends meet, but maybe you are not doing what you need to do, maybe you're a single person and you're kind of living off of someone else, because you don't want to work hard enough, I want to challenge you with that scripture for a minute. Um, and I can challenge you with that because growing up, my parents worked multiple jobs regularly to make ends meet for us. It wasn't so that we could be super rich, it was so that we could make ends meet. And I'm really proud of that and I'm really thankful for that because my dad was a Marine, he would work 12 hours a day and then he would go to another job a lot of times and go work there finishing houses or worked at Walmart at one time. He, um, he uh, worked at Godfather's Pizza, worked for a moving company, all kinds of stuff, did ACs. My mom would work at Walmart, McDonald's, wherever she could, secretary at our church at one time. 
And they did that to make ends meet, but then they were also present. And that meant a lot to me. They showed up at games when they could. They showed up at practices and things like that. And I want to challenge you, if you're here today and you may be saying like, I should... I know maybe I should be doing a little bit more, but I just don't feel like it, especially if you're single and you're kind of living off of somebody else. I want to challenge you to make that right and to, to put God's word first and say, you know what? The Bible says he who doesn't work doesn't eat and I got to do what I got to do, but I don't need to do it to be super wealthy. I need to do it to provide for my family. And then I need to kind of be more present than anything with my family. Uh, the other thing there is Proverbs 13, 22 says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. That's pretty cool. I want to say this. Um, it's generational. It's not just to their kids. It goes even further than that, which is really powerful. The other thing there that's kind of interesting to me uh, is that sometimes people can't leave a monetary inheritance. And I don't think you should feel condemned for that or ashamed of that. Sometimes things happen in life, you know? Sometimes you get a doctor bill or sometimes you didn't learn about this stuff till later in life. Whatever it may be, I totally get it. Um, But what I would say to you is that what's worth more to me than any type of finances my parents could leave me is a godly legacy and a heritage of faith and a good name is better than great riches is what the Bible says. And so maybe you don't have the finances to leave, but maybe you can leave a spiritual legacy and a heritage for your kids that they are a godly generation. And you can then train them to seek God's word about how to handle their finances and set them up to do even better than you did. But I think we should leave an inheritance. The second thing we can do as we can use our finances to make an eternal difference. And Psalm 112 says that when godly people give, it says that their good deeds will be remembered forever. I want to give so that people give their lives to Jesus. I don't just want to give so I feel good about myself. But I want to give so that somebody in India who was going to go to hell hears about Jesus and is saved. I want to give so that northern India stops prostitution. And so that people give their lives to Jesus. That's why I want to give. The third and final thing is we can influence others to become givers through contagious generosity. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he's saying, when you were generous in the past, you inspired other people to give. I've never met a stingy person that inspired me to like, you know what? I should be a total tightwad too and not give anybody anything. But I have met generous people that made me want to start giving stuff away. And so let's be contagious givers. Final thing before we close, uh, just a heart check. And I don't really like these kind of questions because they're hard, but I think we got to ask them to ourselves. Big question for all of us. Ben, you can go ahead and come out. Um, If God were to ask you to give away your very favorite possession, would you say yes? Before you're too quick about that, actually think about it. If God were to ask you to give away your favorite possession, would you say yes? Question number two, once you settle that, if you said yes, how long would it take? If you want a good meter on where you're at, as far as your walk with money, your attitude and your relationship with money, I think that's a pretty good gauge. And I gotta say, it's kind of embarrassing for me to think about that. How long would it take me? How hard would it be? But I think if we want to be people that really honor God and have a healthy perspective on money and really understand that money is going to stay on the earth when we die. And if we really understand that, then I think we can do so much more with money. 
because we'll be so excited to bless people. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.